Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value, learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Marketing Mindset Club. We are here together for episode five of season one. I'm genuinely still amazed that you're back and here and listening in again, which is why I'm so excited. And I'm so grateful that you are because it gives me a little spark of joy to know that I'm helping you out. Or maybe you just enjoy hanging out with me. But either way, I'd love to know what's working and especially what's not working for you about this podcast, because after all, I am here to help you get better at marketing. Pop me a DM on Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club if you're getting anything out of this or you've got any feedback at all. I'd really love to hear it. Doesn't it feel like one hell of a crazy time right now? Does anyone else feel like every day they are having to adapt to something new? That is exactly where I feel right now. And for me, the pace of change has never felt so quick or with such a steep learning curve. It's absolutely mad. So here we are trying to find just 20 minutes or so to take a step back from the day-to-day pace and spend some time doing some focused thinking, which is why we're here after all, getting together in these extraordinary times. This club is all about bringing together anyone with any level of experience in marketing. So it's time to put away any doubts you might have about your skills or any imposter syndrome that you've got. Whether you consider yourself a marketer or not, if you've got something to promote and sell, this is the place to learn. And you're especially welcome if this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the club. I'm also recording this the day after the pubs reopened in the UK, which may not have been the best planning I've ever done. So if by the time this episode comes out, I hope you're fully recovered. If you don't already know, each episode is split into three bits. The digital news bit and what matters about the top stories. The learning bit where I'll deep dive on a tool, technique or strategy you can use. And the real life lessons bit where we'll talk about stuff that I've read or stuff that I've learned uh, about day to day real life marketing. So let's get going. For everyone in B2B marketing, that's business to business marketing for those unfamiliar with the abbreviation. eMarketer recently published a report called B2B best practices in a COVID-19 world. They pitch it as follows. Business and marketing plans conceived earlier in the year are no longer fit for purpose. B2B companies must alter how and what they sell to adjust to the economic and societal conditions brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. The report shares eight initial pivots and how we can drive long-term digital transformation for businesses. Now, the report itself is behind a paywall, so I don't have access to the document. But the first pivot point they mention is about the loss of in-person exhibitions and how to address it. This is something I've been doing a lot of thinking about recently. They mentioned that from their research, they found that without in-person conferences, B2B marketers have focused their efforts on digital touch points, including virtual events, email, search advertising and content marketing. And that certainly reflects the kind of tactics I'd be employing if we were working with a client whose main sales channel was in-person events. It also made me think I would probably be looking really closely at CRM software and processes. So CRM, for those not familiar with it, is Customer Relationship Management. 
And usually the default position is to think of it as a piece of software, which it is, but it's also a process. Using the software effectively is how you can do personalised communications and lead nurturing. So I'd be delving into the resources that a business has in their CRM system. I would be looking at contacts they've acquired, existing customers, and trying to understand the complete picture of what they know about these individuals in order to design some personalised marketing for them. The report also stated that existing customers are more important than ever, which I wholeheartedly agree with. A good CRM system and the processes to support the activity are essential for good relationship marketing. Imagine if you knew what pages on your website a prospect was browsing, which of your white papers they downloaded and the types of questions they were researching on your site. How awesome would it be if you could send them a piece of content or a contact opportunity that exactly matched their needs in that moment? Pretty awesome, I reckon. And there's not many businesses out there who get this exactly right. I think proper CRM done well has the potential to be extremely powerful. Another prominent topic in the news this week is that more than 100 brands, including Coca-Cola, Lululemon, Honda, Mars and Hershey, are suspending their Facebook advertising in response to the platform's change in policy around hate speech. There's been a lot of coverage of it in the mainstream media and I've been trying to understand what's happening and uh, it feels quite complex but I think the feeling is that the changes Facebook announced don't go far enough to eradicate the spread of hate speech, racism and misinformation. Now Facebook makes about 98% of its $70 billion revenue from advertising and according to The Guardian, Unilever's announcement alone sent Facebook stops tumbling 7%. Now, Twitter recently took action to challenge hate speech on its platform, and the most high-profile instance of this was to mark tweets from Donald Trump uh, about voting with a get-the-facts flag because the information was allegedly inaccurate. Now, the changes that Facebook announced to their platform to address the issue didn't go far enough in the eyes of many who were reported in the media. They may label some posts in violation of the platform's policies, but these posts are allowed to remain if they are deemed newsworthy. Now, my issue with this is, who decides? And do any statements that could be described as hate speech, voter suppression or racism deserve any air at all? Because I feel like the answer should be an unequivocal no. The campaign to boycott Facebook has been labelled as the Stop Hate for Profit campaign and it now stretches outside the USA, so it's gaining traction. Ford and Honda have also stopped their European ads. Um, a spokesperson for BP recently told The Guardian, We believe it is critically important for all social media platforms to deploy improved controls to eliminate the distribution of content that is untrue, discriminatory or intended to incite, raise fear or fan hate. Which... I wholeheartedly agree with. So it'll be interesting to see whether Facebook uh, changes their stance on this. Um, but the sceptical part of me can't help but feel that once brands have taken a month off from their Facebook ads and gained a bit of brand equity from supporting the boycott, that they'll go right back to advertising. I sincerely hope not, but I am doubtful. Also this week, eMarketer reported some data on how households in the UK are becoming digital for the first time. And guess what? 36% of UK households video called for the first time during the pandemic. 
And I find this a staggeringly large proportion of the population, especially in the context of when you think smartphone ownership is something like 96% of the UK population. It seems absolutely crazy. 15% also shopped online for groceries for the first time and 15% shopped for other stuff, not groceries for the first time. And what this means is that we as marketers with businesses suddenly have a whole lot of new opportunity out there to reach people online. And it also means there's a significant portion of our potential customer base who are new to doing business online. So that in itself means that your business has a chance to grab their loyalty by providing a great service from the get-go. You could use this insight to feed into your content strategy. So you could ask yourself, do you have web content that answers the questions your potential audience might have, given their context that they're new to this? If you missed last week's episode, go back to episode four of this season and review the Hero Hub and Help content model. It'll give you a structure for planning this kind of content. And the kind of content we're talking about is very much at the help level. It answers specific questions and helps you deliver great customer service. Another thing I noticed in the news this week, Twitter rolled out the choice to record and tweet a sound. Um, previously, you would have to link to something like SoundCloud or a third party site where the sound lived. But Twitter will now allow you to tweet a sound on the platform. It's coming to the iOS version only, um, but you will soon be able to tweet audio. Naturally, the first biggest concern I read about is how this content will be moderated. It seems that humans will actually be moderating the audio rather than an AI, which sounds incredibly intensive, but it also supports Twitter's goal to be more forward thinking and more progressive in the way it handles communication through the platform. I can see loads of benefits to it, especially as the popularity of podcasts continue to grow. But I wonder if it will take trolling and bullying and hate speech to a whole new level. Because after all, if humans are doing the checking and the moderating, then there will be an element of human error in there. And also you have to account for biases and individual perspectives. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how Twitter handles this. So on to the learning bit. And today I want to talk about remarketing and retargeting. The B2B report I mentioned earlier said they couldn't overstate the value of existing customers. And I think that's true in the B2C world as well. There's an old adage that says 80% of a business's revenue comes from 20% of its customers. It's also far easier and cheaper from a marketing perspective to upsell or cross-sell an existing customer than acquire a new one. So it's especially pertinent right now to make the most of your marketing budget and get the most amount of revenue you can. Dr. Dave Chaffee defines remarketing and or retargeting as Ads are served to people who have previously interacted with a brand, for example, through visiting a website, social media profile, or searching. Now, these two terms, remarketing and retargeting, are used interchangeably, but I think there is one subtle and important difference. Remarketing has a more strategic element to it. It's not just about the tactic of putting an ad in front of a prospect or customer who already has some awareness of your brand. It's about designing the timing, the content, the message and the delivery channel of that message. Typically, ads are of a visual nature delivered through content and display networks like Google and LinkedIn, but we might also be talking about email. 
Both terms are fully interchangeable because one without the other is very unlikely to be successful. So for the ease of speaking about it, I'm going to refer to retargeting, but I'm including the strategic element in the process. So where do you start with thinking about retargeting? Firstly, you need to decide who is in the audience you want to retarget and what's the goal for doing so. For instance, the audience characteristics may be that they are website visitors who browsed a particular product category but didn't buy anything, or they read about your service on your website and did not complete the lead conversion action. In either situation, you would retarget them in order to encourage the completion of that action, which is usually a purchase or a sign up. And that's the most common goal for retargeting an audience. It's to move them closer to the end goal. And previously you would have thought about that in terms of a funnel, but as we discussed in episode four, I think, the funnel is less relevant these days as interactions become less linear. So the next step is to figure out how to gather the data to implement a retargeting strategy. This may be through an existing customer database or list, or by placing a piece of JavaScript code, which is often called a tracking pixel on your site. Now list-based retargeting that would be done using the existing customer database or list, allows you to design highly personalized communications that go out usually via email to a contact who is already in the list. You can get really specific with upsell and cross-sell suggestions based on their history within your organization. But pixel or cookie-based retargeting is the more common route. Now, tracking pixels are usually provided by the platform you want to advertise on. So for instance, if you know you want to use the Google Display Network, you would install the Google retargeting pixel. Now they can, now pixels can be deployed using Google Tag Manager if you have that installed on your site, or you will need a developer to insert it directly into the site. Tag Manager is highly preferable because it gives you the option to edit the conditions of the tag as you like. If you're not familiar with Google Tag Manager, Google themselves helpfully have a video course on the product and how to use it, which I will link to from the show notes on marketingmindset.club. You'll need to customize the installation to collect a segment of data, such as those who viewed a particular product category. But you can also install it across the entire site to build an audience of all your website visitors as a whole. And this works specifically with some tracking pixels, such as the LinkedIn Insight tag. It needs to fire on every page of the website. So when you deploy it through Google Tag Manager, you set it up to fire on every page view. You then build the audience that you're interested in retargeting through the LinkedIn platform. After you've installed the tracking pixels, it will probably take some time for audiences to build. After all, it cannot gather retrospectively interactions from the past. It can only gather those that have occurred after the tag has been installed. So while that is happening, you've got time to design the ad content and the creative you want to present to the audience. And you can decide whether it will feature a picture or text or an animation or will it be a discount code? You know, it's completely up to you. And you might want to run several different variants of ads to see which combination gets the most engagement. And that's the bit that no one can really teach. You are best placed to understand your audience. And it's only by trying different ads and platforms and timings that you'll find the combination that gets the best results. But one thing to remember is that you will probably need to update your privacy policy to let website users know that cookies are being used for retargeting purposes. It's a GDPR requirement and I highly suggest you read up on that, but also seek your own advice because full disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. 
So onto the real life lessons bit, I've got just a couple of tidbits for you this week. We have seen uh, some competition increase in some of our PPC markets and one of the ones that stood out for me this week is one of our B2B tech clients in the US search market. My guess is that companies are adjusting to the new normal and realising their marketing can't stop indefinitely. So if you're seeing your average cost per click increasing, that's probably got something to do with it. But you shouldn't rule out other things as well and continue to see how you can refine so you're keeping that cost to a minimum. I read a fascinating blog recently about the most surprising outcomes of A-B tests and there's a whole bunch of them in the posts that I've linked to from the show notes. But there's a couple that really grabbed my attention and it's always the tests that surprise you um, that give the best results. Um, the first was uh, the placement of a form on a web page. So in a three-column layout, the form was moved from third column, so furthest right, to column two, which is the centre, and it produced almost a 50% uplift in conversion rate. Now, I don't know the context of the site. It didn't say. I didn't know whether it was B2B or B2C, but when you look at the layout in the visual format, it seems to go against best practice because... The form is in the centre of the information on the page. So it would be completely counterintuitive to put a form there, but it obviously works for them. And for a 50% uplift, that has got to be worth trying. The second example was in PPC ad text. Um, so if you've ever run PPC ads, you'll be very familiar with testing different headlines and different text, different descriptions. I remember when I was first starting out in PPC, you used to be able to capitalise parts of the destination URL and that would give you an uplifting click-through rate. We've moved far beyond that these days. Um, but the two versions of the copy that were tested, so version A, get $10 off the first purchase, full stop. Book online now, exclamation mark. And version B, get an additional $10 off, book online now, no exclamation mark. So the key differences between the two lines, the second one says get an additional 10 bucks off and it doesn't have the exclamation mark at the end, but the click-through rate doubled with option B, which is completely counterintuitive again. My money would have been on option A as well, just like the post writer. But for some reason, for that audience, the, the label of the additional 10 bucks and the omission of the exclamation mark was enough to get double the click-through rate. Absolutely crazy. I would definitely not have thought that would happen. But as always, the key lesson here is to test it for yourself. It doesn't have to be a perfect test. It doesn't need to be the perfect page. You're just trying to understand how you can move the needle. And that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for being part of the Marketing Mindset Club. I mean that every time I say it. I'm so glad you tuned in. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps me out to grow this club. And I really love hearing your thoughts and comments and answering any questions you have. So head over to the Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club and I'll see you next time.